Good evening, fine ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Second Take Cinema. Coming at you from the glorious Impala Films headquarters in sunny Southend-on-Sea. As always, I am your host, Jamie Evans, joined, as per usual, by Mr. Rory Jocelyn. Hello, everyone. And today, today... We're getting our time machine, we're going right back to 1994, and we're going halfway around the world to the land of New Zealand, as yeah. we give a second take to Once Were Warriors. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, today we are talking about Once Were Warriors. This is a 1994 film from New Zealand, based on Alan Duff's best-selling 1990 novel. Uh, this film was written by Riria Brown and directed by Lee Tamahori. Apologies if I'm pronouncing any of those names wrong. It stars Rena Owen, Timura Morrison, Cliff Curtis, and Julian Aranga. Um, cinematography by Stuart Dreiber. And I unfortunately don't have any information on how much it cost... To make, but I do know how much it made, which was 6.7 million New Zealand dollars. Right. I don't know what that is in context, to be fair. I don't. Um, I don't know what the exchange rate is between New Zealand dollars and regular dollars. No. But anyway. I can't imagine... I mean, it, it's, there's a, a slight glossiness to this, but I can't. I think this would be quite an indie film. By the I think it was it. very indie because it only opened in four theatres. That would explain that. It's very indie. In then. New Zealand. There probably is only four theatres in New Zealand, <laughs> Um, so looking at just how the film was received, it was praised widely on release. Mm -hmm. uh, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 93% rating, uh, saying, Once Were Warriors isn't an easy watch, but the raw power of its story and the performances of an excellent cast reward viewers who rise to the challenge. Roger Ebert gave the film three and a half stars out of four and observed, Once Were Warriors has been praised as an attack on domestic violence and abuse. So it is. But I am not sure anyone needs to see this film to discover that such brutality is bad. We know that. I value it for two other reasons. It's perception in showing the way alcohol triggers sudden personality shifts and it's power in presenting two great performances by Morrison and Owen. You don't often see acting like this in the movies. They bring the Academy Awards into perspective. In the movie show review from 1994, Margaret Pomerantz called Once Were Warriors a very impressive big screen debut from director Lee Tamahori, whilst also praising the cinematography of Stuart Dreiber and the performance of the film's leads. Stratton also compared Once Were Warriors favor uh, sorry David Stratton compared Once Were Warriors favorably with New Zealand's Heavenly Creatures from the same year. Pomerantz gave Once Warriors four stars out of five, while Stratton gave it 4.5. 
Interesting. Mm. Um, and in a 2014 New Zealand survey, Once Were Warriors was voted the best New Zealand film of all time. So, this is in an age before Taika Waititi. Uh, mm. Most people have got... S- the 90s, no one really knew piss all, really, about New Zealand in terms of film. Uh, there was... This was before Lord of the Rings, yeah. where which kind of shot New Zealand into film stardom. Yeah. It was before Taika Waititi yeah. uh, sort of Although, popularised it. It was before certain amount of... Um, cultural awareness. Yeah, yeah. Through. There was that... There's that... Uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. He's a comedian. He uh, The first time I saw him was in Yes Men. But he was also in the film version of um, What We Do in the Shadows. He's the guy who does the oh. infamous line, werewolves, not swearwolves. Jermaine Clement. That's it. No, not Jermaine Clement, though uh, he's another one. Um, I'm talking about the guy who says werewolves, not swearwolves. I don't know who says He's a nerdy-looking guy. He was also in Yes Man as, um, as Jim Carrey's friend. But yeah, it's, it, he's in a lot of stuff. He normally plays a nerd. Mm. Um yeah, so like the 2000s, really, because of Lord of the Rings, saw the rise of New Zealand filmmakers in like a big screen sense. Yeah, before there had that... been a couple of. Don't get me wrong; they, they, they weren't unknown. Yeah, but prior to that, like Once Were Warriors was really sort of the main sort of. This is a New Zealand film. Yeah, because prior to that, prior to Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson had made other films, mm. but they were all. Um, like super low budget, popular in a cult sense, but not well known films like Dead Alive um, and Bad Taste and things like that. Sort of more Americanized, I feel as well. But than... but shot in New Zealand and sure, filmed in sure. New Zealand. But I, mean, I, th- I think you're right. I think I've, it's been a long time since I've seen either of them. But I think it is actors doing American accents. I think to there... try and sell that it's an American film. And also, there's the what was his name? He was the lead guy in the first Jurassic Park. Um, Sam Neill. Sam Neill. He's obviously New Zealand from New Zealand, mm. but pretty much every single role he does or did prior to sort of this sort of the 2000s was Americanized. He'd put on an American accent for it or something like that. Um, very rare that he would play a New Zealand guy in an American film. So, whereas with Taika Waititi, he, he, he to my knowledge, he doesn't, when he performs, he doesn't perform as an American. He usually keeps his accent. I disagree. Taika Waititi normally has his accent. I know. In I, Free I, Guy, he had his accent. No, he didn't. Yes, he, he did. was doing an American accent. He was not. He was blatantly New Zealand. No. No, he Are wasn't. you sure? He was doing an American accent. It was a shit American accent. When he's like, he inoperable. Like yeah, no, he still sounded like a New Zealander his, doing mocking, mocking American accent. Because his, new, so his new Zealand accent is what he does when he plays Korg in Thor Ragnarok. I have no idea who that is. Uh, so he's a big rock monster. Right. He, to be fair, he's the funniest thing in Ragnarok. Uh, he's a big rock monster who's kept prisoner in this gladiator arena by Jeff Goldblum's character. And this is a bit... It's the only bit in Thor Ragnarok I do find legitimately funny, where he's like, Hi, I'm Korg. Um, as you can see, we've got these terrible working conditions here. I tried to start a revolution, but I didn't print enough pamphlets, so nobody showed up. <laughs> yeah. To me, uh, though, he's always got the same accent. I ne- like. No, no, I, d- I definitely hear differences in his accents. Right, I Personally, do. I do. But... No, I personally don't. Okay, fine. Uh, but to me, he's always very blatantly got a New Zealand accent. Yeah. Um, but it's again, it's the, the, the only time I've seen someone... And it was a British guy. It was Anthony Hopkins doing a New Zealand accent. What's well, fast Sydney? Yeah, and to be fair, it's the one thing you have to get over in the film because it's not great. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough accent. It's it a tu- it's a tough accent to do. Not to offend the New Zealanders, it's a very hard accent to do without sounding like you're taking the piss. 
It's got a sarcastic tone to it, doesn't it? And it's got a lilt to it that makes it very easy to make it sound like you're taking the mech. Yes, yeah. So if you're not from New Zealand, it's very hard to sort of do New Zealand. I can't even do it, see? It just sounds stupid. It's, you know, and bear in mind that that as as we'll talk about with this film, there is a, a, a great width I suppose of racial diversity with New Zealand because of the Maori backgrounds because of the white influence backgrounds that the British Empire did uh, and all this sort of stuff so there's quite a diversity of race and you don't want to be seen as being the guy taking the piss out of uh, other races (laughs) it's just not a cool thing to do so yeah it's it's something best best left aside but so this film was added into the list by yourself yes so do you want to tell us about the first time you saw once were warriors sure um i don't remember a lot about my first time i remember my parents showed me this film uh, my dad specifically when i got to about 15 i think it's an 18 but you know um call it the swat team we got him he just confessed <laughs> watching but, underage movies overage movies well, no, you're you're too young for the movie as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so my dad introduced it to me because I remember them watching it in the 90s when I wasn't old enough and being told that I had to go upstairs to bed because they were watching this film and I could hear it, was a, it sounded a bit brutal, which sounded kind of fun because to my knowledge at the time... Like, when you saw, heard people having a fist fight, it was very much that original series of Star Trek. It was, like, smacking around the face. There was a bit of heroic, like, heroics to it. Double fist um, punch are gone. Oh, hell yeah. You know, the, the, Kipting, the Shatnerian fight sequence was, you know, what, I was, what always went through my head. So it kind of sounded fun. Obviously, when I got to the point of watching the film, the violence is not in that bent. It is brutal. It is, it is brutal. It is brutal. We, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. Uh, but it's brutal. It's For the fast. most part, I agree. For the and, most part. Yeah. And it is... Obviously, the, the storyline of the violence isn't that gung-ho adventure. It is darker than that by a long margin because it's about domestic abuse. So when I got to watching this film, the thing that I enjoyed about the film, because it's not... It's kind of awkward because it's a brilliant, brilliant film, I think. But it's not. It's one of those films that you don't really watch. You don't sit down to watch it because you're like, I really want to enjoy this film. It's not an enjoyable movie in that sense. But what's great about it? A, the two performances. Uh, I'll agree with Roger Ebert on the the lead performances are brilliant. But the main reason is for me is it's interesting. It was kind of an eye opening to me about New Zealand culture. Um, certainly a slice of it that's not shown in sort of the more glamour side of Hollywood movies and things like that. Um, anytime they talk about New Zealand, it's like the beautiful green lush countrysides and the Lord of the Ringsy shit. And it's interesting as well that this film talks about um, the history of uh, slavery within the Maori culture, The uh, what at least what Jake the Must states as being a class system within the Maori culture. Or, and, and also you get to see a, sort of a traditional Maori funeral and you also get to see a bit of like gang culture slash biker culture, I suppose, but in a very New Zealand bent because mm. the, because it's because it seems that the the, the bikerish sort of ski, uh, schism of New Zealand leans towards the Maori end. So they've got the big face tattoos of traditional Maori um, sort of traditional Maori tattoos. Whereas obviously in America, in Britain, things like that, we wouldn't use traditional Maori tattoos because it's not part of our culture. So 
for me, it was really interesting looking into a culture I didn't really have any clue about. And while it's a dark story around it, I appreciated seeing something that I didn't expect and learning something from it. So that's why I, I thought it would be a good one for us to review. Um, because we haven't done any sort of dark dramas like this on subject matter like this. And doing one where it's not, here's a British family or here's an American family. You know, it's, let's go outside of the usual comfort zones and find something different. So that's why I sort of thought I thought it'd be good for this. Okay, okay, okay. So where, where do you want to start? Uh, it's up to you. I'll let you take lead on it because I've seen this before. Uh, this is probably my fourth watch through. Right. Um, so for yourself, obviously, it's your first time seeing it. Yep. So I feel like you'd be you'd know better where's a good introduction for an audience. So I, I usually uh, I usually avoid movies like this uh, for personal reasons I don't want to go into, um, which is why I, I'd never seen this. I've also never seen Nil by Mouth, which is the closest film I can think of to this from what i know mm. which is uh, uh the only film ever directed by gary oldman oh, uh, wow. starring ray winston um he does but, a lot of those actually 44 inch chest isn't the same as this but there is an element of domestic abuse that comes yeah. up in that film yeah when he finds out his wife is cheating as, as much as i don't really want to watch nil by mouth it might be interesting to watch it and see how it compares and contrasts because everything i know about nil by mouth from a friend I know who really likes the film, it basically is this movie. Right. And the funny thing is, is I'm fairly certain they were both made in 1994, which oh. is really interesting. Um, bit different, isn't it, though? Having the abusive be like, oh, a Winston accent and a New Zealand accent. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I... So, yeah, it, exactly like you said, it's not the sort of film you enjoy. So I can't say I enjoyed watching it. That's the wrong word to use. I... I wasn't bored at any point, so therefore it's technically a good movie. Um, I have a couple of small problems with it, but for the most part, I, again, like isn't the word you want to use, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really awkward to try and find a word to say how much you didn't dislike it. Is it, but you don't want to say that because it's... It. Yes, that's probably the best word, because you, you don't want to say like, you don't want to say enjoyed, because it's... It, but you... It's enjoyable as a movie. Yeah. But yeah, so appreciate is probably the best word. This is a good example. Let's start with a difficult argument then. Why not? Because um, uh, to be honest, I'm purely starting with this purely because the other day on Instagram, I saw someone engaging in this discourse and I was thinking about it and this film's a perfect example of it. There are no likable characters in this movie. There are no innocent... The only innocent characters are the children. And yeah. they're innocent because they're kids. Yeah. Everyone I'd say else. the daughter is innocent and somewhat like. Yeah, the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. All the children. Right, okay. Are but innocent. You mean adults. Yeah. yeah. None of the adults are likable in this film. The closest and you get is Jake the Must friend, the one who doesn't do the naughty. But even he does keeps like. his he... mouth shut in the face of violence. Yeah, yeah. so even, like, even then, it's like he's the closest you get to a decent adult, yeah. and even he falls short. Yeah. And the discourse that that I saw on Instagram was someone was making an argument. I don't know who it was. Somebody was making an argument that a film cannot be a good film if none of the protagonists are likable or relatable. Right. And this film, I think, is evidence against that. Okay. Because it's a film that's uh, we appreciated watching. 
but no one's likable in it, but it's still appreciate, appreciated as a piece of art. What is it about the lead female character that you feel isn't particularly... Yeah, she should have left early. Yeah, and she says that when she's crying at the funeral. She made that stupid decision when she was younger that she promised never to go back to her family, like the previous, like the family she grew up with, because they didn't like her boyfriend. Yeah. But that was a stupid promise that she stupidly kept when actually breaking that promise would have saved her daughter's life. Yeah. And maybe even get let her keep her son. Yeah. She, so at this point, she's technically lost both sons at this point. One's been taken away into protective uh, custody. Yep. One has chosen to abandon the family, basically, to join a gang. Yeah. Um, and she's lost her daughter as well yeah. uh, due to committing suicide. Um, also, she herself is violent. She, the older son, the oh, one who goes to join the gang, him, she whacks him one pretty much unprovoked. Yeah. Just whacks him one. And... I think that that's maybe meant to show that if you add one person who is as violent as Jake is into a situation, eventually over 18 years of marriage, that begins to infect Mm. everyone around him. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's it's funny because I think that is the point because she slaps him... Uh, and then says, sorry, I'll get some money, and he just fucks off, because he do- he's not going to hit her, he's not going to be that guy. Um, which is good, that is a good story. The other side of that, though, is that he's run away from that family because of the huge domestic abuse from the father, but he's run into another situation of violence where the family he's chosen, the gang, in order to initiate him, they talk to him like he's a piece of shit, and then physically beat the crap out of yeah. him. And then it's like, welcome to the family, you know, it's yeah. like... It's like, is this the family you really want? You know, is this actually a step up? Or are you just basically transferring from one violent family to another, which is realistically what he's doing? Yeah. So I think it is, is that in a situation of domestic abuse and certainly violence, whoever receives that will then pass it on in some way or find it impossible to leave it. Yeah. Because the uh, the other son, the one who gets taken away into domestic custody, into uh, social care... Uh, he starts doing the hacker chants from the Maori history. Now, that's a way to temper his violence. But the point is he has to temper his violence because before he starts learning the hacker, he's smashing through windows and stuff with instruments of, you know, historic significance that he doesn't respect or care about. Um, And he has to be taught that respect and that, you know, what that's all about. But the point is he comes to that new environment and brings the violence with him. Yeah. And wherever anyone goes, they seem to bring the violence with them, apart from the daughter, who ends up just taking the violence out on herself. Yeah. Um, It's, I have to say, it's obviously incredibly dark, but actually, as a layered piece of work, it it actually says a lot of those things very well. Mm. So I think what we have to do before we go any further Mm. is because just because this isn't such a popular film, I imagine there's a lot of listeners who haven't seen it. Mm. I think we need to just sum up the plot real quick. Sure. Um, So basically the film centers, obviously spoilers, by the way, in case you don't want spoilers, although we've already done them at this point. Um, The film centers around a family called the Heke. Is it pronounced Heke or Heke? I think it's Heke. Heke. Yeah. The Heke family, which is Jake. Um, Jake it, the Muss. Jake the Muss, uh, played by... Uh, Tamara uh, Morrison. Boba Fett. Yes, Boba Fett. Um, and his wife, Beth. Yes. Um, and they've got five kids, two boys and three girls. Yeah, so there's a young girl and a young boy who don't have much 
storyline involvement. Oh, was such. that a girl? And I thought it was two girls. Right, that's a girl and a oh, boy. It might be. I don't know. That, that, I thought it was those two girls, yeah. the 13-year-old daughter. The 13-year-old daughter who clearly is 18. Yeah, the oldest uh, boy who joins the gang. Yep. And, and then, then the, the younger boy who gets taken into protective... into Custody, uh, yeah. What's it called, yeah. It's, uh, social social services, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's at least five. Five children. Yeah. And basically, they're living in these slums in really poor conditions. Uh, their flat kind of looks like the bathroom from the first Saw movie. Yeah, and uh, I have to say, actually, most like Hollywood movies at this time, whenever they showed poor, mm. usually there was a bit of glam to it. Oh, yeah, it was just but, small. Yeah. It was still nice, but, yeah, small. but small. And it'd be like, what do you mean your house only has one bedroom? How Poor are you, yeah. sort of thing. Whereas with this, not only was the house small, but it was a state. Yeah. And it's, it's quite and all, all five kids are sharing one bedroom, sort of thing. Yeah, and you can see holes in the walls, which yeah. you assume are from previous rants from Jake the Moss. Um, every night, or most nights, uh, Jake has his friends and their friends, and basically it seems like the entire slum round for... Parties where everyone drinks. Here's something. These people are poor, but so beer must be dirt cheap in New yeah, Zealand. If you look at the bottles, I don't think they're supposed to be expensive beers. I think no. it's basically the uh, New Zealand version of White Lightning. But it's literally crates. So that's something I found really funny. Is every time someone brings beers in, it's not like a six pack. It's a fucking wooden it's crate, a whole crate full of beer bottles. And there's no. There's no I noticed there's no beer glasses. People either had the br- the brown bottles, but they're not like UK brown bottles. They're like they're Chunky basically fuckers. a wine bottle full of beer. Yeah. And then you had uh, you either had that or you had a pitcher each. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like fuck me, that's a sharing jug, but yeah. everyone's just having one each. You're like fuck me. And they have these massive parties. Jake is a super violent person. Uh, especially when he's drinking, we see. Yeah. Uh, he's very quick to snap. Uh, in particular, a trigger for him seems to be any time he feels that his authority is being questioned. Yeah. Uh, that seems to be an instant trigger for him. But uh, when he attacks Beth quite early on in the film, it's not until she refuses to do something he's asked her to do yeah. that he then suddenly just snaps and, and he doesn't have that off switch. He just keeps going until her face looks like fucking yeah, Harvey he's... Dent. <laughs> Yeah, it's because Bully, the uh, guy who we'll come to a bit later, but uh, yeah, this character called Bully asks her to make him some eggs and she's just slapped her son in the face. Um, And because he's walked out, she feels really pissed off. She says, make some yourself. Uh, And as she shouts that at him, make your own fucking eggs or something like that. Jake the Moss walks in and goes, whoa, 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 what's going on? He comes in sort of all chill in quotation marks. Uh, and he goes, I, need to, I don't know, I just asked for some eggs, and she went mental. Mm. Make the man some fucking eggs. Uh, and she just goes, you want some eggs? Here, have some eggs. And she opens a pack of eggs and just starts throwing them on the floor, yeah. screaming. I thought for sure she was going to throw them at him. But... Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so because he did that, and he goes, just make him some eggs. You make it, uh, Cook him the eggs yourself. That's when he's like, right, okay, I've got to do something now. So then he starts taking out on her physically. You see Bully run away like the fucking coward he is, as well as all the other big burly blokes. All the big burly blokes well, there. This is None the, of them try and hold him back or the, try and get her I, out of the city. They just fucking leave. I feel like this is another um, another part of that whole violence affects everything around it. Because there was a certain time in, in here in Britain, there was a certain time amongst a certain class where something like that between a man and a wife... Mm. That's was, private. 
it was, yeah, that's private. It's it's none of our business. A man has the right to beat his wife if she's getting lippy, which is obviously disgusting yeah. and horrible, and it never should have been that way. And thank God, touch wood, I don't think it's that way much anymore. Yeah. I'm sure there's probably some old-fashioned families. There's going to be some brutish people out there for sure. Um, but, but there was this disgusting culture of silence, definitely here in Britain, and it looks, yeah. based on this film, it looks like in New Zealand as well, yeah. um, of just, oh, oh, this is a domestic issue, it's not... Because you're right, they should have jumped in and stopped him. Yeah, either held him back or pulled her out of the room. Yeah. You know, one of the two, just get her out of his fists. But they didn't. They all just ran like a bunch of cowards. Yeah. Um, it's uh, The thing is, her best friend in this is an interesting character. Mm. In that, she, we, we first see her as a singer, and Jake the Mus helps her out when someone some dickhead starts playing music over yeah, while she's singing in the bar. Maybe it's me being seedy, but there was all, I thought there was tones of Jake the Mus wants to fuck her. Maybe, but like he never ended on up his doing wife, But no, I was surprised no. by that. I actually thought that would happen, but it didn't. Um... What ends up happening is Jake the Mus beats his wife up, and then the next day after, well, her face is still all puffed up and screwed up. The friend, best friend, comes around to see her, and she's sitting there going, "Oh, like, she's making jokes like, don't you know it's mouth closed, legs open?" Mm. And then like Beth is laughing a little bit, like, "Oh yeah," and I'm like. Sorry, what sort of fucking best friend is this? But again, like, again, it's one thing to make. Yeah. I can understand making the joke, maybe if you're close enough friends with someone. I mean, I still don't think it's right. But if you're close enough friends with sometimes someone, sometimes you can make dark jokes in a way you couldn't normally. But going, but you'd then still surely be obligated to do something. But this is the flip side of that thing we've just talked about. Yeah. About once upon a time, it was considered just a domestic issue. On the men's side, it was you don't get involved. On the women's side, it was oh, if you're a woman, you're gonna get beat by your husband a few well, times. Well, if you're if you're um, it, she says it, it's because you're too mouthy. Yeah, and a lot of I people say quiet, that, including sort of thing. Yeah, you should have learned to hold your tongue. You know, it's because you're too gobby. Yeah, which and is again disgusting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like just because I mean, I'm a mouthy fucker. I don't deserve to be smacked in the face for well, it. Well, <laughs> I'd make an exception for you. Well, it's different when I'm a guy, I suppose. Every, but when, either way, when, when it's when it's mouthy to make puns, you deserve a smackdown. Nothing wrong with a good pun. When it's every other word out of your mouth, there is. I've been good today. You have, well done. I've been a good boy. Anyway, Can that's only because you feel bad because you broke my desk. I did break your desk. Yeah, you're going to lay awake at night now. No, I'll, anyway. I'll, I'll throw some puns your way later and cheer you up. Um, <laughs> And b- b- uh, basically, he... It's an escalation. So their their middle son or younger son, whichever it is, he ends up getting taken into social care because yep. he's been in trouble with the police. I don't think we ever find out what he was in trouble with the police for. He keeps on hanging around the wrong crowds and he's done a couple of things, but it's it's kind of just not really focused. Nothing on, super it? bad, but no. when they've when the police have gone there, they've basically registered that the family can't look after this kid, which quite frankly they can't. Well, yeah, well, but to be honest, they can't look after any of them. They all should be taken off of them. Yeah, yeah. The social care worker, when he's asked in court, you know, do, is you know, do we think it would be prudent to take the child away from the parents? Um, he's forced to say yes because A, the mother hasn't turned up but B, it's because he's seen her and it's because her face is mutilated by a Jake the Mus. Yeah. so he's like I, I saw the mother this morning and I think yeah there's good reason to take the children into care yeah. or the child into care because for some reason in this particular case and I don't think this is the case in the UK but certainly it seemed to be within this film 
uh, when they take the child away, they don't take all the children out of the violent situation, just the one who's being a problem. Yeah. Um, which he, he is in society, quote unquote. Um, I felt that, that you know, I, I could understand that because it's one of those things like, like she is leaving them in that situation um, yeah. by not taking them away. And her choices are small and, you know... <sighs> It's difficult because <laughs> it's really difficult it's, because it's it's incredibly hard to leave when yeah. you're in that situation. Well, you know, she's been trying to convince him. She mentions throughout the film she's been trying to convince Jake the Mus to stay steady at a job, but he, at the beginning he's lost a job, and the reason and the best friend, the singer best friend, actually says, "Well, you know, with the number of days he pulled, he he took off. No wonder." Mm. So. It's the, okay. He's not actually a hard worker or no. grafter. Oh, there's nothing at all. Because I thought they were going to try and do some sort of redeeming thing about him. Yeah. There is nothing redeeming about him. No. He is a scumbag who tries to use his insecurity. Because that's what he does. The one moment you get that is supposed to be a... um, He's trying to get some sympathy. Mm. That's just him manipulating her. This is a man who is dealing with his own insecurities about his upbringing because he's kind of ashamed about the fact he's from a poor family yeah. and a, a family history of slavery. Yeah. And she's from, a, it, it seems like a slightly more well-off Maori family. Yeah, so he mentions it's slightly different. So this is where this, the, the, the class system in this comes in, but it's not well-defined it would probably have to be something we'd look into a bit more to fully grasp but it does appear that she's from a higher higher class quote-unquote maori family than him uh because he's talking about she's like a princess and blah 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 and she's the one with all the ancestral links yeah whereas he doesn't either he He says he he says he hates the maori yeah yeah he says i hate the maori a bunch of people clinging to an outdated tradition or something like that yeah yeah um, which is nice and ironic for a man who is so what we would consider dinosauric mm. with this domestic abuse, you know, woman should shut up and listen to what I say sort yeah. of mentality. Unfortunately, they um, wouldn't have considered it that way in 1994. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, well, clearly someone did because I made a film to show how shit it is. Yeah. Um, but I see your point. But yeah, I know what you mean. Um, anyway, it continues to escalate. And eventually she's asking him to stop having these parties and he refuses. And then one night at one of these parties, she just goes to bed and she's like, whatever, I don't want to deal with this. And that night, Bully, who is one of Jake's friends. The one with the uh, moustache, so you know he's definitely uh, a dirty scumbag. Yeah, he's got a big bushy moustache. And they, uh, all the kids call him Uncle Bully, don't they? Yeah. He sneaks into the bedroom and rapes. The The 13-year-old girl. Now, I will say, this actress was blatantly nowhere close to 13. Though I think that's probably because if you can imagine hiring a 13-year-old girl to do a scene like that... Once that scene happened, I was like, understandable. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) fine. Yeah, I understand why it is not an actual child. Yeah. Um, But it, it just took me out of the film a little bit because she then gets her first... Well, he's suggested, oh, you've got your first period. period. And, and it she's was clearly like, she like should have had it by now. She's clearly between 16 and 18, at least. Yeah, I thought at 18, least. yeah. Yeah, I thought 18. Uh, but anyway, he sneaks in, he rapes her, um, and he's, you know, threatens her. He's like, don't say a word of this to anyone. Yeah. He leaves, um, and she internalizes this. She, uh, obviously, um, but sort of that 
that attitude we've just said of, well, you know, if you're a woman, you have to expect that violence will come your way yeah. sort of thing. And she so she won't dirty, tell anyone. Like she's, she, she kind of feels like she's dirty. Well, we see her in the bathtub, don't we? Scrubbing and scrubbing at herself well, he also, and then at the sheets. Yeah, he, he also says to her when he comes in to, to do the fucking act, he... Um, he even says, you know, it, it basically puts the blame on her. It was oh, her fault because she, she came turned downstairs him on, yeah. and she dared to turn him on. Yeah, she gave him a little um, kiss on the cheek, didn't she? Yeah, which is what he asked for anyway. So yeah. it's not like, you know, but because He's, of that and because she was wearing not a lot. Yeah, nightgown. Because, yeah. yeah um, it, this is the 1994 equivalent of, but your honour, look what she was wearing. Yeah, essentially. Which and, is, ne- let's just be clear, is never a fucking excuse. No, 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 no. Ever. No, no, no. Absolutely giving this guy, like this character, zero fucking <laughs> defence. Yeah. Um, but it's, it. I think that's why she internalised it as well. It's not only because, obviously, it, it being such an intrusive act, but because he blatantly tells her that it's her. Her fault. Yeah. Um, she then goes to hang out with her friend. She's got this homeless friend. And he... Uh, they both smoke some weed, don't they? Yes. And then he tries to kiss her. Just to give her an innocent kiss, I which, suppose. But it well, is, a it first still... kiss. And this, yeah. is the, this is the thing. Had she not have been raped... She probably would have been all right with her. Because res- clearly we see throughout the film that they clearly have a bond. Yeah, yeah. Um, this could have been a beautiful... That beautiful moment that touch wood, you know, everyone gets, which is your first kiss. I think most people remember their first kiss. Yeah. Um, and that is ruined for her because this terrible thing has happened to her the night before or earlier the same night. I can't quite remember the time it's, scale. It's not too far prior to this right. i think it's the previous night because she goes basically i say cuckoo she gets horrendously depressed and runs away the next day doesn't she yeah um and screams at her mum before she goes yeah so i think it is the previous night um so i i, I said cuckoo i apologize that's not what she does she's obviously having she's a traumatized yeah. yeah um but I mean, it, to them, it looks like she's just being a bit weird and crazy yeah. because they don't have the context of what's going on. Yeah. Um, and Jake um, doesn't seem to give a shit. Like, oh, when, he, he doesn't care when the kid gets taken away no, when either. The kid's taken away, so, well, that would be good for him. He needs to toughen up. Because uh, he can't deal with emotion. No. He can't process it at all. Yeah. Which is why when they're going to visit that kid, he takes the first excuse he can find, which is they find a bar yeah. with horse racing on. To not go. And to it. not go. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's because he can't process the emotion. It is, this, this is the definition of toxic masculinity. Yes. And I'm going to say now, because, um, again, this is just some discourse I've seen online, uh, which might not even be relevant by the time this episode airs, but... Um, there's a whole big thing at the minute where certain people on the internet, Andrew Tate, are trying to claim there's like this war on masculinity because of the phrase toxic masculinity. But here's the thing. Toxic masculinity is not all masculinity. That's the point. Like, there is no one in society who want to get rid of all masculinity. What we want to get rid of is toxic masculinity, which is this. It's exactly this. Mm. This man is so damaged that he can't process anything except violence yeah his fists are the way to fix all problems yeah in his life and obviously it's the worst thing he could do in most of those moments except for right at the end which we will get to mm. but it's the one time that it becomes a benefit but mm. other than that it's like yeah it, it, he tries to solve everything with fists because he's so frustrated um now my grandfather did this uh on my mum's side mm. he used to he was generally okay 
But if he got frustrated, he'd easily get flustered. But when he got frustrated and didn't understand the situation, the fists would be the answer. Yeah. It was an easy solution to what would otherwise be a might might otherwise be a complicated problem. Mm. The issue is obviously it's not actually a solution. All you're doing is harming people and not yeah. solving the core problems. Yeah. But right, that solving the core problems could be complicated. And it may require you to sit down, think, maybe rethink your position. And that's a difficult thing for people to do when they get grafted into a set mindset. Yeah. And that's where Jake the Muss is here. When what I found interesting was when they they go for a short drive before they go and see Boogie, which is ruined by them him going into the bar instead. They go and see the ancestral heritage of the mum. Mm. And while they're there, she's telling this story, which should be, as far as she's concerned, a sweet story of why she left that background because she fell in love with Jake. Mm. He should take that as a positive. She left the, you know, a lifestyle because she loved him. Instead, he takes umbrage at it. And he's like, tell her the whole fucking story that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't, you know, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And he makes it all about him. Yeah. And he, it, he's again, making he himself a victim. Yeah. And he gets, it's the big irony, like, this level of toxic masculinity. He is the strongest man in the room, except when you ask him to handle any small process of emotion. And then he is the biggest victim in the room. Yeah. And it's like, how strong are you if you're constantly the biggest victim in the room? Yeah, you could beat the shit out of anyone oh, who tells you as he's, such. He's weak but you're as not, shit. Yeah. He's a weak man. And that's, that's what happens. He's physically strong, but he is a weak man. When uh, when his daughter kills, spoiler alert, she kills herself. Yeah. He just stands there. Yeah. And does nothing. He's frozen, and his friend is even like, "Dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, help with this." His friend has to cut her down. Yeah. His friend has to try and call the ambulance. He's just frozen yeah. there in position, and then he tries to blame it on the girl. Well, yeah. she was weak. Obviously, there was something wrong with her, yeah. and you know, it can't and be him. He can't be the one to blame. And he makes no effort to win his family back either. No. When he finds well, out, because he's always in the right as far yeah. as he's concerned. When he finds out they're going for the funeral, that they're going to go to the Maori land. Yeah. Um. He threatens, uh, you know, if you leave me, I'll kill you, etc. Then he doesn't. We see that that's an empty threat. Yeah, because he, he won't kill her. He can't kill her intentionally. He, he might accidentally kill her one day yeah, yeah, when he goes too far. He's not got any... Because he does... He cares for her to a level. To a level. I just think he's a coward as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. what Tamora Morrison does really well. But it's the thing is, is he you knows... You can he... see that in his eyes. Yeah, it's a phenomenal performance by Tamora in this, to be fair. Um, you can... Like... You, he doesn't play him... He plays him hard, but when it comes to those bits where he's really having the meltdown, you can see that the meltdown isn't because he's such a hard man he's taking control. Actually, the opposite. When he's got that mad and he's got that rage, it's because he's, please don't leave me, I don't understand. Yeah, and you can see control. that little child upset on his face while he's doing the big bad man punch yeah. routine. It's all on his face that actually he's a terrified little boy in this moment yeah. and it's uh it leads to one of my favorites the, the the scene that's the most powerful for me is when he goes to attack her again like to attack his wife again um and she says she's taking when, when basically when she decides she's going to take the daughter's body for this funeral so this is the one and, where he shoves her up against the wall and smashes the jar yeah and he's got yeah that is a beer bottle she was just a like fucking bottle. huge um but yeah he's basically like you know 
you, I won't let you go. I won't do this. Like, go and then you, uh, you're, and she says to him, "You're still a slave, Jake. Yeah. You're just a slave to your fists and your alcohol and things." Yeah, uh, I'm sure she says it's alcohol, something else, and yourself. That's what yeah. she says. So is it fists, violent at fists? Fists. It's definitely fists. Fists, alcohol, and yourself. Yeah. Um, and like he, he still leads to alcohol, but doesn't actually hit her with it. And then he threatens to kill her and walks off yeah. because, you know. You'll be scared of me because I can kill you. And he knows he could easily mm. kill her physically. He's way more dominant than she is. But he's a petulant little child throwing a tantrum. Yeah. And you get all of that. That is such a... For me, that is one of the best scenes I've seen in a lot of cinema. There's a lot of power in that scene. Mm. And it is superbly performed. Yeah. Um, and again, you just... It's just that whole element of watching this man crumble that he does so well. Mm. Um, even later on, when she actually leaves, he has a, another temper tantrum, comes home drunk, screams through at the house, where are you, where the fuck are you? And they know we're there. So he goes out in the back garden to hack the tree down with an axe, breaks the axe, and yeah. instead starts smacking placing, the tree and crying like a child. Placing the blame for his daughter's death on the tree. Yeah, the tree is at fault. It's not... It, it's that thing, isn't it? Of it, it's anyone's fault but theirs. Yeah. Yep. It's a. I hasten to add, and maybe a narcissistic view, um, but it's definitely a selfish point of view. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah. So in the end, what happens is they um, they find the um, the daughter's book. Diary, yeah. She was writing a diary. She said she was writing books, like the stories that she's been telling the kids. So they stitch it back together and then um, one of the kids goes, oh, why don't you read one of the books she's written? Mm. So she turns the page to see this thing and actually what it is instead is a diary entry of what Bully did to her yeah. that night. And she realises exactly what's happened. So she tells the kids to just, you know, stay at home. But she goes with the oldest son to the bar where Jake the Muscle always hangs out with his friends. And basically confronts Bully. Mm. And this is the one point where the violence from Jake the Muss is almost cathartic because she utilises Jake the Muss in a way that basically she starts having to go at Bully, Jake the Muss gets up and says, who the fuck are you to come into my bar and start slagging off my, my friends. friends, goes to hit her and the son steps in the way yeah. and he's just like, read the fucking journal. He reads the journal, realizes, oh, "Bully, what the fuck have you done?" And then he chases Bully and beats the like stab ends up stabbing him with a broken beer bottle and all yeah. sorts, beating the shit out of him. Funnily enough, talking about how it was ex <laughs> our violence against women is just expected. Yeah, you notice the only time anyone stops Jake beating someone up is this scene. Yeah, where it's a rapist. Yeah, they're gonna stop because he's gonna kill him. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, why? I literally asked you, didn't I? We were watching. I was like, why are they stopping him? So, like, this is the one time where literally this is the right time for the violence. So now we come to <laughs> one of my only criticisms of the film. Go on. So for the most part, the film is, as you say, very brutal, very hard hitting. Yeah. There are two scenes that, in my opinion, it's a fine, it's a damn fine line to walk. Yeah. The violence crosses the line from brutal to actually this is fucking hilarious. Okay. And that is the initiation to the gang. Yep. Like the idea is great that they're showing a picture. It's when one of them does a fucking... I don't know what it's called in real life, but in wrestling, it's um, a spinning elbow. <laughs> yes, he does, He yeah. literally does... And I literally was like, come on, you wouldn't fucking... You would just be pounding on him. Yeah, yeah. And the second is when um, Jake attacks Bully. 
So why is that? It why was you hilarious. That? I think he's because bouncing he's... his head off of everything in yeah, but my he head. It. In my oh yeah, yeah, he does, he does. But that's what I'm saying. The right. scene lost its impact for me because that should be a brutal, brutal beatdown. And in my head, I was. Joe, it reminded me of, and I don't mean this to take away from Once Warriors. I'm no. just saying it's what it reminded me of. The bit in Evil Dead 2 when God. Bruce Campbell's hand is possessed and he's beating himself up. Right. It was like, and he's literally like smashing his own head into things. Yeah. It was almost that level for me. All it needed to be was a bit more static. That's the problem. It moves around too much and it just looks too flaily. The bit where Jake's, uh, I can't call him Jake the Snake, who's a wrestler. <laughs> the bit where Jake is just pounding him against yeah. the wall. Great. That's brutal. Like, yeah. that's brilliant. It's when they start, and stabbing him was great as well. It's when it's literally bouncing him off. We're going to carry you over here and smash you through this. I'm going to carry you to the other side. It's like in wrestling. You see yeah. in wrestling when they'll they'll grab a wrestler and walk them all the way around the ring to the announce table to bang their head off it. And you're yeah. sat there going, "Well, why does that other wrestler not fight back at any point during that walk?" <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. For me personally, it just tripped over that line, and it didn't help as well that I kept picturing sound effects like eh, eh, and stuff oh, like that. So, See, I, d I didn't get that much comedy out of that. It was still no, quite brutal. Maybe I'm to just me. a sick motherfucker. <laughs> I think you watch too much wrestling, but I do see there, there did seem to be a little wrestling contingent in the uh, choreography. Yeah. Um, which maybe didn't help. Uh, but yeah. But I'd... then it, it ultimately ends with, you know, she. I wasn't sure personally if I was making this film, mm. I'm not sure I'd have gone with the happy ending where she, again, maybe just being a sick person, I might have had it a more miserable ending where she doesn't leave. Um, and maybe he kills her. But mm. um, it's a very good ending. It works very well. Um, he tries all of his usual tricks. You know, you'll be nothing without me, etc., etc. You'll yeah. come crawling back, blah, blah, blah. What and I she just gets in the car and leaves. Yeah, what I would have liked from that, because it's quite an extended bit where he's screaming at the car while they drive away. Mm. Um, what You know, he starts off with, fuck off then, I don't need you. You know, you, I don't want you anyway. You're disgusting. You yeah, need to get you out of here, blah, me. blah. I don't, I don't need, you. need you, blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of, and then it slowly switches. You can see it in his face mm. as well. Brilliant performance where it switches gear to that. Well, you'll be back anyway. So, you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Well, we, we saw it earlier when uh, I think it's in that bit just after she he smashed that bottle that we were saying. Yeah. Where she says to him, "You want something to eat? Learn to fucking cook." Yeah. And you actually see on his face. You you made a joke about it, but it's true. You see on his face, he's like, "Yeah, I, I don't know how to like like a basic life skill." Yeah, he can't do and it. He can't do it. Something else that's interesting in this is that it relates in how it relates to race, not just within the class structure of the Maoris, but there's a point where Boogie, when he's been taken into social care, um, when he's smashing the windows mm. and the, uh, the the social care guy comes in and starts shouting at him, takes the weapon off of him, he goes, he calls him a, I hate to use the term, but like black bastard or something like that. Yeah, and it's like you're black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. It, it, the guy takes the weapon, knocks him over, and goes, "You're the same color as me, son." Yeah, it's like a self-internalized um, racism hatred. Yeah, yeah, and there seem and what's quite interesting in terms of the race in the or the races in this film is uh, like all the Maori people are 
pretty damn tanned let's put it that way um there's a few that are a bit darker the the social care guy looks a bit more like he's got a slightly more indian infusion to the color yeah. of his skin yeah. which, um, which happens which, with any race yeah yeah of course but you then white the, people who are different shades of white yeah but there aren't really any poor white people and that, this might be the way again this might be to do with how the ghettoized areas of new zealand are um bear in mind that these ghettoized areas aren't in the UK, so I may be talking from complete arrogance. But it did look inter- It was kind of interesting to see that you had, like, you know, they were internalizing racism against themselves, and yet you can kind of see why when all the cops, all the judges, and the officiates, and all everything else, all the people else, in power, all the people in any form of power were white as shit. Yeah. Like they were pure white New Zealanders, yeah. and then they were all talking up like that. They're basically coming in and controlling the darker-skinned um, New Zealanders and tr- talking down to them because they're poor and they're from the. And then you see that knock-on effect again with Boogie saying this guy's a black bastard and all this sort yeah. of stuff. It's yeah, I just fa- I found it fascinating because the the closest we ever get in this film to maybe lower class white people and it may not even be that it's just a guess is right near the start in the bar there's a a, a big thuggish guy who is covered in tattoos who's being a complete bellend mm. and he turns around and he sees there's three white guys there they seem to be in a gang um of some kind but he turns to them he just doesn't like the look of them so like dude what's up and he beats the shit out of the three of them yeah um and it's it's it, that seems to be I would imagine that that's racially incentivized. Um, when you but uh, the only other time and it's a blink and you'll miss it is when they're at the courthouse after the trial with Buggy gets decided he's going to be taken away. Yes, as they're leaving, you can see the next set of defendants queuing to go in, and it is a few white people in that line. Right, but that's it. I mean, their background yeah. extras like your yeah, yeah. attention isn't drawn to them. Sure. Um, it's inter- I, I find that really interesting. Um, so t- talking about the construction of the film then, I'm not saying this is a bad thing because I think what I think this film's strength lies in how raw it feels yeah. and low budget. Um, in terms of just cinema though, and the artistry of cinema, it's not lit very well. Um, I don't know about to, that. What, to, what, the po- what? to the point where there's nothing... Now, I'm not saying it's... None of it's... There's no bits where it's like, I can't see what's happening because it's dark. What I mean is it's a very, it's a very super minimalist lighting setup is what I would call it. Okay. Everything's very, everything's super realistic. Yep. Um, it all looks very true to life. This looks like, so it doesn't look like it's been filmed on a proper cinema camera. It looks like you could have just gone in with a video, like a home video camera and caught this happening. Yeah. Which which benefits this that film. That might have been the idea. Oh, well, that's what I'm saying. It benefits this film. I'm not saying the film should yeah, yeah. have super cool lighting Glossy. and yeah. um, a soundtrack. It hasn't really got much of a soundtrack either once no, the actual film gets going. No, there's a, basically anytime there's a real soundtrack, it's where there's someone it's either playing music sound, or, yeah, the, the all the music and stuff like that or the sound effects that or sound like the a heartbeat. At the funeral. Yeah, or there's the scene uh, where she, after she's been raped, she's walking down the back alley. And there is um, that guy boxing. But yeah. at first, it sounds like a heartbeat of... Doof, 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 and then she looks, and it's this guy punching this sandbag as he's boxing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it seems like most of the soundtrack is in some way inserted diegetically, even if at first it either doesn't seem that way. Uh, but, yeah, this isn't one where you'll be like hearing fucking music playing in the yeah. background while they're doing a scene. 
Have you didn't need it? Have you seen the sequel to this? I have. What becomes the broken heart? Yes, I have. Is it? Does it? Is it an attempt to redeem Jake, or yes. is it a? See, I'm not sure I'll like that. Yeah, so I think this was one does of the main... Does it do it well? It does his redemption quite well. He doesn't suddenly become a different person. Right, and it doesn't just excuse what he's done. No, no, no. He's, he goes through quite a bit of a change. Basically, the story of the sequel is uh, his first son gets murdered while in the gang. Right. And uh, Boogie wants to join the gang. Uh, so he basically, he's trying... Basically, she's, she's still in it. Is it all the same actors? Yeah, yeah. Um, but what she's decided to do is she's left him. She's living her own life. When she realizes Boogie's gone into this gang after the murder of the first son, she realizes she tries to pull him out of it, but he won't listen to her because you know she's just a woman, and he's internalizing all this misogyny that Jake the Mus was having. Um, Jake the Mus has got a new girlfriend who he's trying to keep his temper down with because he realised he was the reason he'd lost everything. Um, so he's trying to rebuild himself and actually trying to advance as a human being, but that anger is still there. Uh, and I thought it was from this film, but it must be in the sequel. There's a line he's got, he goes, I don't want to... like Because at one point, because things get so tense, he ends up scaring his new girlfriend with violence. Doesn't actually hit her, but like hits the wall or something like that. And she's like, I, I thought you said you'd never do this shit again. And terrifies the living shit out of her. And he just... He, he freaks out that he's go reversing backwards. So he goes to the bar again. Um, to try and sort of get away from himself. Um, and when someone talks to him, he's like, why'd you do this? Like, he's just like, I don't understand. It's just like, when things happen, I just get so fucking angry. And it's like, he's, he's talking about all that frustration and that anger. So it it is a nice companion piece. And in the end, it's he has to. He becomes the because he is so violent. He has to be the one to go in and take Boogie out of the gang, because he's the only one with enough real physical stature to deal with it. But at the same token, um, it could be seen certainly nowadays as a bit of a. I don't know. It depends on your viewpoint because obviously it's an attempt to redeem a domestic abuser in cinema. So that in itself could be seen as a massive negative. Um, however, as a potential positive, if you fuck up in life, you should have the ability to re-ingratiate yourself into society think, by learning yeah. from your mistakes. Very few people are ever beyond redemption, I think. Yeah. So Except, it's, you know, like pedos. Fuck them. Yeah, yeah. So we, it ne luckily it never tries to redeem that guy. Um, but Jake Is that guy dead, by the way? I don't remember. Um, okay, cool, we don't, cool. uh, yeah, I don't think he comes back, to be honest. Um, but Jake the Mus is... They, they're trying to redeem that character. And that... I'd have to watch it again to know if that's a good choice or a bad choice. Okay. Because obviously, whether or not it's a good choice or a bad choice will depend on how they portray that redemption arc. Um, I'm fairly certain they did it well. It's just the story isn't quite as gripping. Right. Um, but I'd have to watch it again. I have got it but I'd have to watch it again to know. Yeah. Um, as for the cinematography on this film, there were some shots that had some interesting lighting, uh, but as you say, it's for the vast majority of it, quite naturalistic. The scene where Jake the Mussy is attacking the tree, uh, I, the, the, that almost had like, that was almost a precursor. Bear in mind, it's 94. You had like this quite bright orange light and there was some sort of turquoise teal light yeah. in the background. And I was like, oh, that's very 2014. That's interesting that that's come out here. Um, 
and it's not shot badly. Everything's in um, everything's in focus. It's still got a lovely film grain to it. Uh, we watched this on a Blu-ray that I bought. I had to import it from Australia. Uh, from I can't remember if it's Australian or New Zealand. It probably is a New Zealand Blu-ray. But I really wanted this film because I knew it was really good. So um, yeah, I for me this film is. I mean, it's the best film about domestic violence that I've seen. It teaches the subject most impressively because it doesn't just do one angle and it doesn't always do what you expect. Yeah. Um, as you said to me, you kind of expected that it would be Samura Morrison's character, Jake the Muss, gets a girlfriend, beats her, rapes her, she has a child by him. Oh, and she's no, no, stuck no, 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 that's not what I meant. That's Is that not what you meant? No, 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 no. Sorry, oh, I misinterpreted no. what you said. I then. thought the daughter was going to be pregnant with Bully's baby uh, after he raped her. Yeah. Um, which would have obviously been all manner of tragic, yeah. but that probably would be a film of its own, trying to yeah. deal with that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is a brutal film uh, in terms of its sub- subject matter. You, you couldn't really have made it glossy, no. um, but I've not seen this subject matter done better. I've seen it done before um, in many different ways. Again, 44-inch chest was a good example uh, where there was a bit of domestic violence in it, but from a man's frustration at his wife but there was more subtext to the reasons for the build-up to his violence which again does not make it acceptable but it is it's shown to be a very much a one-off occurrence whereas in this it's a repeat occurrence which are two different things neither are good neither are riot but they are two different elements yeah um and 44 inch chest isn't quite as good a film as this right um it it, 44 inch chest kind of lets itself down in a couple of areas which we would talk about if we covered it um this film doesn't really have any weak spots it's got a few things that could be better as you say but it's you at no point would i consider this a weak or badly made movie um whereas there are certain elements to 44 inch chest Certainly in the story, that just sort of, it sort of tries to wrap up too quickly. Right, I see. Um, whereas the story of this feels consistent. Like it's been well thought out. Probably because it's based on a novel, which helps. So it's already platted out for the scriptwriters. But yeah. at the same token, you can rush or ruin an adaptation. As we've seen many times with things like the uh, remake of Total Recall. You know, it's very possible to take something that's beloved and brilliantly paced and ruin the shit out of it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, this doesn't do that. Uh, I've never read the book, but no, I'd be interested to know how accurate it is. What to the novel? Yeah, how faithful. Yeah, I yeah. It's, I think it's supposed to be quite faithful. So the actor um, of Cliff Curtis, who plays Uncle Bully, the rapist in this film, um, he initially refused the role. Uh, because he found the character repulsive, but his agent and auntie persuaded him to do it. Now, <laughs> I'd like to know why the auntie's going, please play a rapist, Cliff. It'd be really good for you. Um, but he's, he also said that this is the part that will haunt him the rest of his life because he gets teased about the role. Uh, but having said that, Cliff Curtis has had quite a few Hollywood roles because mm. um, when we saw him, we both went, we recognise this dude. Like, where the hell have we seen this dude before? And he's been in a few things. I mostly remember him from Sunshine, mm. the sci-fi movie by... Danny Boyle. Uh, that's it, yeah, Danny Boyle. And he plays the guy who goes nuts at the end, who's been staring at the sun and his skin's all crisped. Um, he's been in a few different films uh, in, you know, the Hollywood sense. He, <laughs> There's also one here that says Tamura Morrison would get challenged to fight all the time by local thugs. 
Because after they saw him play Jack Hickey, they were like, oh, he's a hard guy. Now, this has been said... I've heard this from um, Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan has said... Like, somebody asked, you know, you must get people asking, trying to fight you all the time. And Jackie Chan went, no, no one ever asked to fight me. And the reason no one asked to fight me the way they would, they always asked to fight Bruce Lee or, you know, what's his, uh, like Jean-Claude Van Damme or yeah. whatever. The reason no one tries to fight me is that I'm not an invincible superhero in my films. I'm not the hardest man in the room. Yeah. I win by luck and by, you know, mostly by luck in a film fight. You well, know. It kills me when, when, when you get blokes who are like, oh, you think you actually are Bruce Willis or whatever. Yeah. I could take you. Isn't it just like, well, yeah, I'm an actor. Yeah. Like, I know, unless you're the the Rock and Vin Diesel who have egos the size of the Titanic, <laughs> you know, these actors must know that they're not Do you not, not reckon you could hard. win a fight with the Rock? <laughs> Mate, you would throw you around like a piece of tissue paper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, the Rock versus, like, a bare-knuckle boxer. The yeah. bare-knuckle boxer's going to kick his ass because the rock's an actor and a wrestler yeah you can't do a rock bottom in a fucking <laughs> that'd be interesting what, with, just... the, with the gloves on yeah they're not gonna just lay there while you do the uh people's elbow i did see a ufc fight get one with the walls of jericho once though which was cool right jesus christ so there were concerns that tamura morrison was too small to play the part of jake the Mus. Uh, but he's not super tall is he no well uh, it looks like they meant by bulk Oh, okay. So he spent weeks in the gym training under the supervision of fight coordinator Robert Bruce, and he consumed whole chickens in order to beef up for the role. Mm. I mean, he's big in this role. He's a butch man. Um, but yeah, just it, it's one of those things that always sounds funny. Like, he's he was too small, too skinny. It's like, really? But maybe that's because he was skinnier before he did it. Maybe. I know that he... Um, he says here he found it hard to go back to his regular television role after doing the movie. Well, what was he on? Uh, he was a heartthrob on a soap oh, right. called Shortland Street. Uh, he said that after finding all the pain and anger to play Jake the Mus, it was hard to let it go, and he wanted to swear and curse at all the nurses and patients in Shortland Street. <laughs> so going back there, and go fuck you. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Morrison has spoken of his enormous respect and for the acting ability and presence of Rena Owen, who plays Beth in the film. He said, it's the inner emotion. It's the energy that makes those little hairs on your neck stand prickle a little bit. It's the heebie-jeebies crossed with a little bit of inner spirituality. Rena had that and in vast amounts. Um, yeah, I have to say, this is... Directly wants to swear when he's playing Boba Fett. <laughs> swearwolves, not... No, werewolves, not swearwolves. Um, yeah, he was used to playing calm characters and good guys. A key point in his transformation came when Rena Owen stayed in character and yelled at him until he got angry. Apparently, he only got into the character on the weekend just before filming started. So, which is kind of weird to think, because what we know of Tamura Morrison in the West is, for me, it's from this film and it's from his role as Boba Fett, which is calmer than this, but it's still kind of a quiet aggression. Mm. Um, But it sounds to me, from reading the biography on him, that he generally plays sort of more chill characters. But I can't imagine him as a chill character. <laughs> it would actually be quite interesting to see him in a role where he's a bit more emotional and chill than what we've seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. I, 
this is a breakout role for him. Like there is, you, there's no denying the quality of the acting work on display from him and Rena Owen. Owen. Um, the they make the film. Mm. Um, you can imagine if the performances weren't up to snuff, just how weak this film would be at its yeah. subject matter. Um, it's nice to see a hard-hitting New Zealand movie as well. Because in general, at the moment, most of what we know of New Zealand comes from Taika Waititi's sort of more comedy flair and the Disney-ified movies that he makes and he performs in, things like Free Guy. And he doesn't, and he doesn't make those in New Zealand. No, no. He may, he's got a couple of films, I think, that were made in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. There's, like Hunt for the Wild of People. Yeah, which is a brilliant film. It's not brutal, but no. it is a it is it is very different. I have a lot of respect for Taika uh, Taika Waititi's work, but mostly his New Zealand work. Yeah. Uh, because his American work is mostly through Disney, and it is mostly mere Disney shit. Yeah. Jojo Rabbit's amazing. Oh, okay. We'll do, we'll do Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, I haven't seen point. that one yet. It's I'd brilliant. be interested to see that. Um, yeah, I've got no problem with Taika Waititi as a person because he seems like he really knows his shit. But he, obviously, I'm guessing if you're going to get paid millions to do a piss easy movie like Thor Ragnarok, where you just shoot people on a green screen without any real acting chops, then fine, do it, get your money. And I don't mean that the actors don't have any acting chops, but filming on a green screen doesn't take any real work. I mean... Mm, it's not a real movie. I'm going to argue against that. I'm going to defend... I don't even like Thor Ragnarok that much, but I'm going to defend it because... It's not a real movie. I... <laughs> I think both types of movie have mm. different challenges. Okay. And I'll tell you why I think I'm that. I'm sure there's a lot of challenges because to Because I've seen... Uh, we've all seen... Big budget Hollywood directors try and do an introspective indie film and it's garbage. But what doesn't get talked about as much but also exists is when indie directors get given, hey, here's millions, come and make Spider-Man whatever. Mm. And they fuck it up. Look at So Josh Trank, who um, was like a proper shit hot indie director, um, came out with like a super low budget film and caught the zeitgeist, he used the right place, right time, Disney were like, please, make our new Fantastic Four movie. And it was a disaster. An utter disaster. They are two different skill sets. I'm not sure I could do a Disney film. Because for me, shoot, I kind of agree with Ian McKellen. I didn't get in this business to shoot everything on a green screen. Yeah. And I am a little sad that the way the industry is going, certainly the big budget industry, everything is now shot on either a green screen or those funky LED screen things that they yeah, yeah. use on the Mandalorian. Yeah, um, they seem interesting. They'd be. I'd use. Here's the thing. I don't. I'm not against using the technology. I'm against using the technology for everything. Yeah. Because it's not necessary. Just about the time me and Benton went to a uh, like a, a trade fair and we spoke to the company that make those things. Right, for the Mandalorian, yeah. and they were telling us about how they ship them anywhere in the country, and they could ship one to the studio we work at, and um, we were like, "How much?" <laughs> it was like eighty grand. Wow, Jesus and we Christ. were like, "No, 
we, we can make Candy Heart four times. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. It's, that's an insane amount of money. We, we will stick to building our sets, thank you. Yeah, no, fuck me. But yeah, no, um, it's two different skill sets, and that's why I try not to take anything away from either skill set. Sure. Because, uh, I mean, look at Ian McKellen. I mean, everyone knows this bit now because it's unfortunately become infamous. Ian McKellen having a breakdown on the set of The Hobbit. Because acting to nothing but a green screen is so hard. Yeah. If you're an actor who is so oh, used again, I'm, to... I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having a pop at the actor. Normally, my main issue with green screen films like that is that there's no real substance, and I'm not just talking about what they're acting to, etc., and the fact that it's all computer generated. I mean, the scripts tend to have no substance. Yeah. The uh, and the the acting tends to not to have as much substance because you're taking the actor out of an area where they can learn what their role is within the environment mm. as well as having someone to speak against. Oh, and instead you're having them talk to a rubber ball on a green background. And it's like, what's the context for this scene? I think we've uh, covered all there is to cover about Once War Warriors. I think so, unless you did anything else you want to add. Hell no, I think no. I've said everything. So what was your final thoughts? Um, exactly what I said, to be honest. I think there's a couple of minor flaws in the film where it crosses over into, uh, in the fight scenes, crosses over into being a bit too comedic for my taste. I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is in that last fight scene. It's the fact he stamps on his balls. Yes. That's too funny. Nut shots are always funny. Yeah. You can't do a nut shot in a serious fight. That's true enough. Not unless you're going to like show the balls literally getting exploded. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's... it's clearly a good film. It's clearly a well-made film. It's clearly approaching its subject matter with a sense of thought. I'd love to know if this director actually went on to direct anything else. That's something I will look up uh, later. How about you? Uh, I still love this film. Uh, and again, in a way that it's not enjoyable, quote-unquote, but that it is, in fact... Um, it's, it has something to say. It says it very well. And I just truly appreciate it for what it is. Um, But yeah, I think this is a brilliant film. I think if you are interested in cinema or real drama films, it's a must watch. Um, Unless you're easily triggered by domestic violence, which is, you know, an absolutely understandable subject matter to be triggered by. Yeah. Rape. Um, Yeah. Technically, for marketing purposes, you're supposed to say unalive now, but. Okay. Yeah, suicide. Suicide is suicide. suicide is is the one. Um, it, yeah, I I love this film. I'd I'd recommend it. Easily. Wonderbar. Well, I think that does it for today. We're going to get back in the time machine, get back to twenty twenty three, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in, um, and we will see you next time when we give another film a second take. <laughs>